Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Right Lane, a podcast of the Tampa Bay Times and the Pointer Institute. On this podcast, Times reporter Lane DeGregory discusses her stories and answers your questions. The focus is on craft. My name is Maria Carrillo, and I'm a former enterprise editor at The Times. Today's topic, gone in a flash. This story is one of my favorites because it's amazing, really, but also Lane and only Lane would go into a bar and come back with a story like this one. So we have to start there. How how did you even find this story, Lane? Well, I had this little like neighborhood bar that was sort of my cheers uh, when the kids were little. And I, I paid for uh, aftercare at their, I sound like a terrible mother here, but I paid for aftercare at their preschool until six o'clock. So if ever I could get out of the office by actually five o'clock, I could stop by and have a beer on the way home. And I loved, my husband was traveling a lot then and I was kind of single momming it for a long. And I loved just having that transition of like one beer between work and mommydom. And like that helped me kind of get through the next part of my job at night, you know? And so that was one of these days I'd gotten out of work at like five o'clock and I stopped in this bar to have a beer before I had to go get the kids. And uh, I heard these guys laughing and laughing around this table and they had a, a bucket of Budweiser, you know, in front of them all empty. And, and they were like, oh, my God, Alan, tell that story again. That's I can't believe it. That's a great story. Tell it again. So, of course, I'm like, what's the story? <laughs> so you don't know any of these guys? I knew who they were because I was sort of a regular at the bar in the happy hour time, you know, Um but I knew their name and they knew I worked at the paper and I knew the one guy drove a garbage truck and the other guy cleaned a pool and the other guy worked in landscaping, you know, but I didn't know beyond their first name or like kind of, this is the guy at the bar, you know. So, and then, uh, so you say, what's the story? And they, and then the the friends egg him on to tell you too? Yeah, they totally egged him on. And, and I bought another round of Budweiser because they were out. So I was like, well, let me bribe you guys with a bucket of beer. And they were all, they completely became like, the Greek chorus, you know, all these other kind of blue collar guys at the bar who's like, oh my God, oh man, oh, that only happened to you, man. You know, So it was kind of fun. I interviewed him with them, you know, with the other guys in the bar. So when they start telling the story, you're not necessarily thinking you're going to write about it. You're just listening to, you're just having a beer after work and just listening to these dudes tell the story, right? Bar talk. Yeah. And they were always telling stories, you know, and probably half of them were BS, but. <laughs> so. When did you real? When did you say to yourself, "Oh, geez, I should be taking notes"? <laughs> well, they they sort of told the frame tale about these girls knocking on the door, and it, when they got out of the bar and got to the point that they're home and people are knocking on the door, I thought, "Hmm, maybe there is something here." So I'm almost always taking notes, you know, even if I'm not going to write a story or not. I kind of always in the habit of that. But I I knew it was a story when he said there was a police report. You know, because I thought if this is another unverifiable bar bullshit story, it's fun to tell. It's fun to share. But I would never write a story about it. And as soon as he said, no, man, I call the cops. I said, did they make a report? And he was like, yes. And I was like, all right, let me let me go pull up the paperwork. (laughs) 
So how did you talk this guy into letting you do this story? Because if I'm Alan Smith, I'm thinking I've already been embarrassed in front of my friends, my wife, you know, um, do I really want the whole world to know what just went on? He he kind of thought about it. And, and I don't know if I pitched it like this or if he already thought about it, like like a cautionary tale, like, man, I don't want this to happen to any other man. And he's <laughs> like distracted by boobs, you know, he, he was like, really, if they've, if they've done it to me, they're going to do it again. And so I want people to be aware, you know. Oh my God. It became a, yeah, a cautionary tale for him. He was, he was being heroic. <laughs> exactly. We talked a lot about this in the podcast, you know, how to find ideas. And you're always talking about being nosy and being curious. And I'm wondering if you've ever had a bad reaction from someone that you just walked up to and, and you say, I'm a reporter. Are, are people, people generally okay with that? Or, or have you had people who've actually said, like, I can imagine these guys drinking, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe they wouldn't necessarily be happy to invite you in. Oh, yeah, it's definitely happened where they're like, get away, or I don't feel like talking about it, or this isn't for publication. I mean, I've definitely been turned down. I think um, as I got older and as I did this longer, I became a little bit um, better at making a pitch. You know, like, well, here's why I want to tell this story. Wait a minute, this is a good story. You're the only one who can tell this story and sort of talking them into it, you know, instead of just being thwarted. But if I can tell people are, are getting at all angry or annoyed, I just back off for a story like that, you know, not not for an important story, but a bar story like that. Yeah. And and definitely if I think they're lying to me, which happens. Yeah. This is the kind of story that I think not everybody would have thought this deserves to be in a newspaper. You know, I mean, I mean us, I mean, people in the industry, you know, we, I could see a lot of people talking themselves out of it. Like this isn't that big a deal of a story, but it's such a slice of life. It's a good lesson in like, don't necessarily talk it yourself out of it because just because there's no big news being made doesn't mean that it isn't uh, a story that's going to resonate with people. Right. Um, and I mean, and you can tell like in a bar when there's, instead of two people listening, there's 20 people listening. You could tell it's a good story. You know what I mean? And I also think that, uh, you know, a lot of times after work, reporters shut it off. And so you're there having a beer after work before you go get your kids. You're not thinking about being on call. You're not even thinking about like, should I write this story? I'm kind of always have my antenna up. I'm kind of always like, hey, is this a good story? But I know a lot of especially younger reporters or, or older, more jaded reporters be like, this is my time. You know, I'm, I'm here having a beer with these people. I am not at work, you know. So, I, I mean, I see the value to both of those. You know, I've found an awful lot of good stories on my time off. <laughs> Where does that come from, do you think, Lane? I mean, is it just like you were, because from the moment I met you, you were just very naturally curious. And it seemed like you were, I, I don't, just that whole idea of like, I don't know, the human experience. You're just, you're just really drawn to like, what, what are people going through? And, and I don't know if it's just like the strong sense of empathy or, or it's, where did that curiosity come from? I mean, I think a lot of it is just that, just curiosity and insatiably nosy, you know, and and I'm always kind of listening to what other people are saying. Like I'm halfway eavesdropping wherever I'm at, but, you know, whether it's the grocery store or the beauty parlor or a bar. You know, I, I love bars. But I think we've talked about this before because you get this validation of other people hearing the same stories and you realize like, okay, either this is a, a bad story or an interesting story. Um, but my, I think, you know, a, a lot of the best stories come when you're living your life, not when you're working your beat. Um, or when you're out there searching for something to fill the Sunday's corner or whatever, you know, and I think if we're more like paramedics and we are kind of always on call, um, you don't, you're more apt to find those stories. 
I, I think that's that's great. I'm not, again, I just I think our instinct is sometimes to sort of stop ourselves. But um, anyway, with this one, you already you talked about the police report, but yeah, to me that was crucial too. So when when he says that, that kind of confirms for you that okay, now I've got like some proof that something you know something must have happened because this guy wouldn't call the police. Obviously, just to think that Lane to Gregory was going to walk into a bar and tell a story, and I was going to make this all up, right? Um, but uh, so you, you chased down the police report and that in and of itself was pretty fascinating, right? Oh, no, that gave me the walk off line. You know, that was my favorite part when I read the police report and the uh, the police sergeant, I think it was the sergeant who I interviewed, he thought it was hysterical too. He, you know, he was all on board about like, oh my God, I was like, have you had a rash of these lately? You know, and he's like, no, I hope we do. You know, he was just playing along with it. But it def- if, I don't think if there had been, if there had not been a police report, I don't think I would have done the story. I don't think they would have put the story in the paper, you know, if it was just unverifiable like that, you know. Did you talk to his wife? His wife did not want to talk to me. She was embarrassed Uh and I tried and he tried to put her on the phone and she was like, this is your story, (laughs) hon. I wanted to ask you, so the, the other guys in the bar, when you write the story, they're just Matt and Mike and you didn't bother with full IDs. And I'm assuming that was a conscious choice. Um, so what, what were you thinking there? I kind of thought about them as like, like I said earlier, the Greek chorus, you know, they were just kind of the, the guys in the bars or, or like the Statler and Waldorf from the Muppets. If you remember that, you know, they're, they're offering commentary on the action, but they're not really necessary to develop as characters themselves. You know, they're almost more like every man. They could have been anybody sitting at the bar that day. You know what I mean? Right. I didn't feel like it was such a short story too. I didn't want to flesh them out a whole lot more and be distracting, you know? Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Um, so I, I, I've been lucky to have editors like you and Mike who, who are okay sometimes with just giving a first name or like a glimpse of the guy in the red baseball hat and not having to spell out their name and their age and their title and their occupation. Because I think especially in a little scene piece, that's too distracting. You know, it's too officious in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I like the, there are two graphs in this story where you describe Alan and sort of his place in the world. And um, I think I think a lot of writers struggle with just how much detail, you know, how much does the, the reader need to know about a particular character? And in this case, you know, I like that we're mostly in the bar, you know, and that, that, that he's telling his story and it's really about this one night. And and but you give enough context, you pull away enough to sort of tell me this is a working guy and this is what he does and this is part of his routine and his life. And um, anyway, I just, I went, you know, over the years, as you, as you try to work that into stories, um, does it get easier to try to really condense it and make it as spare as you can possibly be in terms of those kind of context details? I usually write about two or three times more of that and then cut it back, you know, (laughs) Well, that's true, but you do, but you have got, it's gotten tighter. I it's gotten a little tighter thanks to you guys. But um, yeah, I, I feel like, you know, a lot of those cases, depending on how long the story is, less is more sometimes, you know what I mean? Like, and I, I feel like 
I go back and forth between like starting a story with like Alan Smith propped up his pool cue versus he propped up his pool cue. Because I think if you use the pronoun, sometimes it's a lot more every man. It becomes a lot more inclusive to say like, this could have happened to anybody. You know, it's not just uniquely an Alan Smith story, you know. And just for listeners, if you haven't read the story, this this guy basically, he, he comes home from the bar with his money. He's watching TV. These girls knock on the door. He lets them in to use the phone. And then he comes back out and they're eating his pizza in the living room. And he gets upset and they say, hey, don't worry about it. We're not armed. And they flash him. Hence the gun with the flash, right? And he's like, oh, he's all flustered. It's the middle of the night. So he lets them make their phone call and they go on the way. And then he finds out they stole his wallet. So it it, it could have happened to anybody, I guess, who would have opened their door at four in the morning to two pretty girls. But <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I like what I think it's a it's a I, and again, going back to that challenge of just how much is too much. Um I, to me, it's always sort of part of it is that key of like, how far do you pull me away from the action and the story, right? And I don't want to go too far because, you, you know, I'm at a bar with you. I'm I'm sort of listening in with you and I'm kind of, you're telling me the story, which got, which has some really nice momentum. It's a great, it's like a great joke, it's got, you know, with the punchline. And so you don't, I think if you as a writer find yourself just pulling so far away from the story to put in a lot of context, um, you've got to check yourself because, you know, maybe people don't need all that much. And, and this, and this story too, like you said, it's a short story. It doesn't, you know, you don't need to know every little thing about this guy or the bar or even that night. I mean, there's some pertinent details, but, um, you know, anyway, I think that's one of the nice things about it too. It has a lot of momentum going for it. The story does as you, as you move along. And I, I mean, I'm purposely, obviously to keep it, keep it going. Well, to your point, that's basically the question I ask myself, like how much do they need? You know, what's the minimal amount I can give readers to make them see this guy, feel this guy, understand his place in the world without completely taking them out of the scene? Right. Did you have, I do remember whether, I assume there was a picture of these guy, this guy or the bar or something. Yeah, unfortunately got lost in the archive or something. But a friend of mine who's a photographer, I knew, I knew drove by that bar on his way home. He didn't frequent it like I did but I said have you left the office yet he said I'm leaving right now I said come take a picture so he took a picture of Alan and the bucket of beer and the pool cues and the other Matt and Mark were like in the background kind of leaning in I'm sorry the picture got lost in the archives but he I think that was before we had cameras on our cell phones you know where I probably would have just taken one myself but he he was on his way home so I bought him a beer (laughs) um talk about the ending and how how you decided to end there Oh, when I finally got the police report and it gave the description of the girls, you know, and Alan had said, um, you know, he didn't have any idea what they looked like, their faces, but he could completely describe their bra size. And I just thought that was so funny to me, like such a great old dude remark, you know, and and dismissive of every, of course he didn't see what they look like, you know. Did he say that in the store as he was telling the story or did you get that just from the police report? Well, no, I asked him, I said, what did they look like? Can you describe them? And he was like, mm, not their faces. <laughs> what was, what was the reaction to this story once it ran? Well, what, well, so this is, you were working with Mike then, right? What did Mike say when, when you came in the next day and said, Hey, look at the story I've got for you. He goes, of course you do. <laughs> That's what he said. Um, or how many beers in did you meet before you found that story? And I was like, no, no, I had no beers when I found that story. But he put it on the front page. 
Um, I think it was on a Sunday, like a little bottom corner of the front page and readers loved it. I mean, they, they loved it, loved it. They hung it up the bar for years. It was hanging up at the bar there. And, um, that was the first year that I'd gone to the Neiman conference, the Neiman storyboard conference. And they asked us to be on a panel and do a reading. And I was with like Isabel Wilkerson and Susan Orlean and all these famous people who were reading these really important, harrowing, difficult stories. And I decided to read about the old garbage truck driver who got flashed in a bar. And so the room like exploded and it was so fun to get to like read that out loud at a conference of super serious journalism, you know. Did he, did he message you after the story ran? Did Alan? Yeah. Or did you see him again after the oh, story? Yeah, I saw him many more times. I think he bought me the beers the next time. <laughs> did the Times pay for the beers? Did you put in your receipt? No, I think there was no liquor reimbursement, unfortunately, at the time. But Alan was also my garbage truck driver. So I would see him, you know, on Thursday and Monday mornings and he'd be waving from the alley and stuff. So sometimes that's what it takes though, right? You have to, you have to, you have to fork over a few bucks. Absolutely. It was more than worth it. Um, you do. I want to just reiterate because I know we talked about this, but the, the way that, that, you know, just being open to, to possibilities, um, and, and you're, you're doing that as you go to the store, as you, as you go pick up the kids, um, people that you intersect with and just have quick conversations with. I mean, you're like, you're, you're always thinking like, okay, there's could be a slice of life here, right? Something that, that happened. Um, and, and I know that one of the things too, is you, you try to connect with a lot of people who aren't journalists, right. And you try to let them know that you are a journalist and that, you know, basically if they have a good story, contact you. And, and that's not like, Hey, you know, Putin's invaded Ukraine. It's it's it could be anything, right? It could be anything that just happened. And it's it's really amazing how often that comes back to you. You know, if you, I left my business card with the lady at the subway shop one day, and two years later she called me with an amazing story, and she remembered what sub she had made me. You know, I, I went to an art show the other night at a high school for a, a girl whose family I'd written about actually, and met another woman there who started talking to me about this program that she has. And gave her my card and she's invited me to this big luncheon next week to meet with these people in her charity organization. So, yeah, I think you got to keep putting the seeds out there. You know, you got to keep telling people like I am totally interested in your stories and here's the kind of stories I'm interested in. And then they start coming back to you, you know. Well, I was going to say, yeah, as you publish these kind of stories, too, then they probably find you because they're open to, oh, you might. You know, oh, if you like that, if you are interested in that kind of story, you might like this this person that I know or this situation that happened. Right, or I get an email that says, I know you like really weird stories, so, <laughs> you know, people know. The other thing I should say about that is, like, that bar, like, if you have a favorite bar or a place you hang out, the bartender was a young woman who was about my age at the time, maybe mid-30s, and it was almost all dudes, blue-collar dudes at that bar. And so she and I were kind of the only women there a lot of times, especially early in the evening. And she had a stack of my cards that she would keep under the bar. And if she heard a good story, she would ask that person for their phone number or email, or she would go, Hey, my, my friend Lane would really love to tell your story. And she'd give out my business cards. So the bartender was really kind of brokering stories for me. I probably got at least a half a dozen from her. You know. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Let people pimp for you. Yes. <laughs> totally. We'll definitely include a link to the story with the podcast so you can read it and you should read it. It's, uh, it's really a, a ton of fun. 
Um, thanks for listening. Don't forget, you can find other episodes on pointer.org uh, forward slash right lane. And please join our Facebook group. This podcast was produced by Jesse Lauk. Music was composed and performed by Dan DeGregory. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.